everybody, and welcome to another episode of The Freelancer Show. This week on our panel, we have Petra Manos. Hey, everyone. Brad Large. Hey, how's it going? Joel Schobert. Hey, guys, this is Joel. I'm Charles Maxwood from devchat.tv, and this week we have a special guest. That's Will Gant. Howdy. You want to introduce yourself? Tell us who you are, why you're famous? Uh, I don't know that I'm famous. Uh, I'm a software developer, have been for about 20 years. Um, I wrote two books last year. One of them uh, was on remote work, and it came out right in the middle of the COVID pandemic uh, remote work uh, a thon, I guess is the best way to put it. I'm also half of the Complete Developer Podcast, um, so that's probably a nice summary, I guess. This episode is sponsored by Cloudways. If you're running a business, then you need a website, and your website needs to be up 24-7. You probably want support. I mean, let's face it, cloud hosting is a pain in the butt. And if you're really looking for a solution, you probably want something that will support WordPress or Magento or something that you can build up on your own without having to be an expert in running all of this stuff. So why not go with a solution that will provide all of this with 24-7 support, high availability, and will run your website with high performance and reliability. This is why I recommend that you check out Cloudways. Go check out Cloudways at cloudways.com. Use the promo code DEVCHAT for 30% off for three months on all plans. Awesome. And uh, yeah, we brought you on to talk about Remote Work, which is that book that just came out. I'm kind of curious as we get into this, what was it that prompted you to want to write this book? Well, I started, um, I started noticing that a lot of developers wanted to work remotely and they were terrible about convincing management. <clears throat> Uh, for instance, I worked with a guy a few years back and he decided to try to convince management to let him work remote a couple days a week. Uh, he went into the office, talked to the manager and was like, oh, it would really help me out with, you know, because I could take care of the kids while my wife writes her book and all this other stuff that was, you know, benefiting him, but would show that he wasn't really going to get anything done. Um, the same guy when he worked remotely, um, because they did let him at one point uh, for you know, one reason or another. Uh, he was in a board meeting. Um, it was very clear that he was uh, sitting on his couch with a laptop in his lap. He didn't have a proper work environment. You could hear kids in the background in the board meeting. And right in the middle of the board meeting, the, his big Persian cat jumped up onto his keyboard and presented its backside to the camera for the entire board meeting to see. Um, that strikes me as being a significant problem with setting an appropriate image for remote work, uh, considering that it was associated with the hindquarters of his cat from then on when it came up in discussion. And I started thinking, you know, this is not, you know, a single problem here, right? This is a problem across the industry because I've seen this script play out uh, badly in a lot of different places. And so I started thinking, okay, well, I can write a book to show people how to actually convince management to let you work remotely in a way that helps them as well and also makes it so that you have a sustainable remote work environment. In other words, you don't get the ability to work remote for two or three weeks before they get tired of it and make you come back in the office or fire you, but where you get to do it for years. And so that was kind of the, the impetus uh, behind that. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, this is us being the freelancer show. I don't know that, you know, convincing management is necessarily what we're trying to solve. But yeah, having a sustainable environment and, you know, substitute board meeting for client call, right? 
Right. And it's even more important as a freelancer, right? Because you've, if you want the kind of hourly rate that you, you actually want, um, you need to present a professional demeanor. And so part of that is having an appropriate work setup. It's having uh, backup plans for when stuff fails so that you can get back to work quickly. Um, it's, it's about communication. It's about, uh, you know, setting appropriate expectations. Really a lot of the stuff that freelancers have to do, um, just to have their, you know, their job work or their business work. Um, you kind of get to test that out as a remote developer, right? Like it's training, it's a training wheels version of what you have to do as a freelancer. Yep. So when you say sustainable, Oh, go ahead. I'll add on to that. Um, you know, I do this as a side hustle. So I'm building my business as I, as I work. And with several employees or employers, I've had arguments as to why people didn't want to allow remote work and what you're speaking to just really struck me. And it was always examples of people being really unprofessional about the situation or using remote work as a license to be, you know, to, to exhibit behavior that you would never get away with in an office, right? But right. they do those things and they think that's the freedom they're going for. When the, the fact is that uh, you can get a lot more done remotely. Uh, one employer I had, we started working remote. and Productivity went up 35% for our dev team. We got 35% more points across the board. And they finally were like, okay, maybe there's something to this. But people were able to flexibly manipulate their schedule to fit their life. And so they were working at their best times. They were... So there are so many benefits, but oftentimes, especially as contract workers, there's a lack of accountability and other managerial or even technical issues that prevent people from fully leveraging that. And it just becomes this big issue. But one of the most powerful things for me was, you know, being able to work remotely. I was able to work on my business and get more done in my normal job than I would have been able to do sitting in an office. Because sitting in an office, I can ever, I can never follow up on things right then. I can, it just causes this huge disparity. So it's interesting for any side hustlers out there, remote work is like a huge way. I mean, my, my business growth has been insane since working remote. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, I wrote two books last year and remote work is how that happened. Um, it, the amount of time that you spend in a commute is uh, absolutely catastrophic. Uh, the average American spends about $2,600 a year on their commute. Um, that's just, you know, gas, vehicle maintenance, that kind of stuff. It doesn't count all the um, sausage and biscuits that you eat on the way to work in the morning. It doesn't count the fact that you either have to spend time, you know, making your lunch and bringing it ahead, or you go out to an overpriced restaurant, you know, near where you work. It doesn't count, um, you know, a lot of the, the fact that you're having to schedule and say, okay, well, I'll probably be home by 6.30, but I can't schedule anything until 7.30 in case there's a traffic jam. So you got an hour there that you lose that you really didn't lose, but you can't schedule it because something might happen. Um, I also found that when I was commuting an hour each way, I had to book in to see a, a physiotherapist every week because, because I was a programmer as well. So when I'm at my desk the whole day and I'm one of those kind of crazy programmers that just don't move. Like I just, yep. if I'm stuck on a problem, I just won't do anything else until the problem's fixed. So to be honest, I'm like that well, now that I'm freelance too. But anyway, um, the, the drive plus working plus the drive home 
my shoulders and arms, I'd feel like a zombie when I got back. So I had to book in so many health appointments just to get, you know, massages and physiotherapy and all of that. Yeah, I had to do the same. Um, I was going to the chiropractor basically every week. And, you know, I don't know that I've been there in six months. Um, now that I think about it. Um, and the last time I went was just because I did something dumb lifting weights. Um, it had nothing to do with work. And, you know, the other thing is that um, that commuting time is terribly unproductive, right? It's like super stressful time before you even get to start your day. No, you listen and, to podcasts. Yeah, I did for a while. And actually, um, <laughs> sorry, very yeah. self-serving. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it I'm a podcaster you too. If you're listening to podcasts about business while you're stuck in the yeah. commute. <laughs> or, or you listen to oh, somebody yeah. else's podcast and you hear every time they say, um, or there's an awkward you know, pause. Like, if you're, yeah, uh, I couldn't, I, I just, maybe got to, I couldn't get to the point where I could take it. Um, I got to, yeah, I just, um, I got to about intermediate level and in spoken Russian just because I was listening to Pimsler on the way to work and back every day. I mean, that's, that's ridiculous. That's, that's like something that somebody with time does, you know, somebody and, with time does. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, I remember those days. Yeah. And uh, maybe it's know, better than what they're actually doing in Russia. I've heard about <laughs> how in their cars, they've actually got in-car exercise routines because it, their commute in Moscow is so long that they actually do their entire workout wow. while they're driving home. That, oh, that wouldn't surprise me, but, uh, that's yeah. sad. But think about if I had been able to spend that time on a business instead of sitting in traffic in bumper to bumper traffic, stressed out before I even worked. Um, that's an incredible amount of leverage. Um, so really the remote work thing is honestly a, a pretty reasonable starting transition point for getting out and becoming a freelancer. Yeah. The other thing that I just want to add in though is, you know, we, we talked a bit about, you know, people talking about what's in it for them with the work from home and I'm I'll find the article, but I, I ran across an article that basically said that like square and Twitter had told, have told their workforces after the COVID-19, you know, everybody stay home thing, that they were making that permanent because people were that much more productive. And so it's, it's not just the productivity you lose because you're driving your car, but it's also the productivity you lose just from the stupid interruptions and the, you know, the other things that go on at work that reduce your productivity. And I think yeah. some of it's just social horsing around and some of it's, uh, routine interruptions or meetings and some of that other stuff, but it, it, it was fascinating to me that that's the way it went down. Yeah. We had a guy at a previous job and his nickname there was radio because you could hear him from a thousand yards with no wires. Um, who is like the loudest human being I think I've ever interacted with. And so he could, he could talk three offices down and interrupt you. Like you could overhear what he was saying with headphones on from three offices away. I, you know, he had some kind of, hearing issue and wouldn't go get it fixed. And it's like, you're disrupting 20 people talking about. I can't even imagine. Like I haven't worked in an office since before the whole open floor plans came out. I can't even imagine what it's like now compared oh, those to open floor plans are the worst. Oh. Yeah. It's like a high school cafeteria. We're going to open this can of worms right now. Yes. It's, Let's it's get the, the can worms. opener for the can of worms. <laughs> First off, Facebook change over to open floor plan for everyone. Oh. Uh, you know, I mean, 
that and the hot desking thing. That's the other thing that's really irritating. It's like, oh, you don't even have a space that's your own. You just got to go find a seat like you're, I mean, it is. It's like a high school cafeteria with the exactly Navy. the same dynamic. Hot bunking? Yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> I did not join the Navy on purpose, right? <laughs> right. Air Force. <laughs> in my own bed. Uh, but no, I think it's hilarious. I feel bad though, because you were talking about ra- the guy radio. Well, I worked on jet engines for eight years. So every once in a while, my volume, and I, I try to be aware of it, but with open floor plans, I'm very self-conscious about that for one. Two, the noise, oh, it's, it's unbearable. Like, I, you, you're not in control of your environment at all, which leads to all kinds. I would get up and walk around and do all kinds of anything to not be at my desk certain times of the day. Yep, I, I did the same. And, um, you know, it's just other people's noise and other people's stuff, especially when you're trying to be in a deep level of focus. I mean, you'll have somebody chewing gum, you know, two seats over and you hear that or um, somebody that has decided that they're, they're going to warm their dinner up from last night. And last night they had fish and Brussels sprouts, you know, it's just like, <laughs> come on. <laughs> you know? That sounds and, really good. Uh, not in a microwave. It doesn't. <laughs> <laughs> oh, maybe not in a microwave. Yeah. We had someone in our office that was doing some new diet and it led to some digestive issues. Let's just say that. And so we kind of had this permanent smell coming from his side of the room. And then I was right next to the male toilets. And so every time you'd go into the toilet, you'd just hear all these noises coming out from the toilet. Oh, man. (laughs) It was rather disruptive. Yeah, we had a guy that would eat pickled eggs at his desk. (laughs) Just sit there. And he's like, man, what? You know, you're you're just thinking, man, how does your... I don't know. It it really makes you more personal with a lot of random strangers than you really want to be. Um, just in general, like if you're mentally healthy, I don't think that the open office environment is a good one for you. The no, other thing even just people with BO, I mean, it's, you're just like, well, we're all programmers. We're over that. <laughs> you know, speak for yourself. <laughs> you know, I don't think, uh, I don't know that we can escape that entirely. It's, uh, it's kind of part of the job. But yeah, the other thing it does is it, it tends to lead to almost a dishonesty. Like how many times have you worked in an office where you'll see somebody and their job should be mostly typing, but they mostly are using their mouse until management comes up and all of a sudden they switch over to the keyboard because now they're actually working because somebody might be looking right. And you start to get in this habit of I've got to always appear like I'm working because you can't work an eight hour day realistically and, and be focused that entire time day in and day out. Right. You're going to, you're going to have downtime in there and the open office tends to make you shifty by nature because you're trying not to get fired. You know, whereas if I'm sitting here working from home and I get stuck, well, I've got a 48 kilo kettlebell. I'll just go swing that for a couple of minutes and then I'll come back and I'll get back to work. And it's way easier just to go and, you know, burn off the distraction that way instead of having to try to appear like you're the perfect worker when you're not. Um, so it, it, it shifts things into a dimension of more honesty uh, just in general, which I think is, is also one of the transitions you have to have as you become a freelancer, right? Like you've, you got to say, Hey, look, I'm not, you know, I'm not billing you necessarily hours. I'm billing you based on the value I provide you. Mm-hmm. Right. Like if you actually want to get paid well, you know, that's the way to go about it. And this is sort of baby steps 
for that. So on your list of uh, convincing your boss, your managers, I don't know if this is uh, part of what you've run into, but if you run into cases where maybe it's a newer manager or whatever, and they don't really feel like they're doing their job as a manager unless there are face-to-face meetings. Yeah, um, I have run into that quite a few times. Um, a lot of times what you kind of have to do there is you just have to go, well, what are you, what are you trying to get out of the face-to-face meeting? Um, you know, what do you want? Because obviously they see some value in that, but it's probably not in the face-to-face nature of it. It's more like, Hey, you know, we get on the same page. I, I know that you're paying attention, et cetera. Like what, what out of that requires us to be in the same room? And let's see if we can figure out how to replicate that in some other way that doesn't require it. Therefore freeing you up to be a better manager, freeing me up to be a better employer or employee and not, you know, not having those things at cross purposes um, would you know, kind of be the approach I would use there. Um, but yeah, it's, it's definitely very common. Um, and, and you have the managers that feel like they have to manage by walking around Hmm. And you know, those are, those are the worst. And honestly, they, they're trapped too, right? Because if, um, if they don't walk around all the time and check on their employees, like how do they prove that they're providing value? You know, they're stuck in the same thing. I mean, it's, it's the classic thing of, you know, the, the prisoners are in jail for a while, but the warden's there for life. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Right. You have well, it's, project managers too. You have project managers that their job is managing the project and they work with the BAs. So if they're not in a meeting, they don't feel like they're doing their job. But if they have technical questions or want to run ideas past you, they don't understand. You're pulling you away from the primary reason that you are there to work anyway, which is writing code or solutioning or architect, whatever that is, right? It's a huge break from that. And so all of those things add up. And, you know, whether you're remote or not, that can be an issue, but I, it is funny to watch. You can instantly tell if you were not remote before this and are remote now, I think it's very clear which managers were much more comfortable walking around talking with people than are okay with, you know, putting proper accountability measures in place and being okay with the results. Yeah. And, and honestly, you know, that's part of it too, is not even having a mechanism to measure productivity. I mean, with developers, you can't do that by lines of code. Um, well, you can, but there's going to be a lot of copying and pasting and a lot of, <laughs> you know, you're, you're going to get it's more. It's better to measure. measure that backwards. So the more code gets deleted, the better the developer. So if you have negative lines of code, you've got a really good one. <laughs> yeah. But people are still going to, people are still going to gamify it. Right. And the other thing is, oh, yeah. is like um, people, people have made the argument that like JavaScript or Ruby or some of these other languages don't have significant white space, but they do. That's what separates the token and a new line works just as well as a space in a lot of cases. And so, yeah, so I can add six lines of code because I have five arguments going into a function call. Anyway, it, it, it all gets gamified and that's the problem. So yeah, you you have to have some other measure measure. And honestly, a really smart coder would write something that processes the files and changes it to a certain standard where it is the maximum number of lines of code when they commit it. Yeah. Even if it's Bingo. something somebody else. <laughs> Your linter spreads it out. Because <laughs> <laughs> you, you know you could do that in Ruby real quick. And there's probably oh, somebody who already has it. Yeah. 
Yeah, but there's the, probably a there's there's a gym for that probably. Yeah, like sitting there already ready. Yeah. yeah, I think it's called Money Maker. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know if that's a really smart developer or just a really sarcastic, de- angry developer. But those are the I kind of want to write that config uh, like, now. I'm going to tell you the Venn diagram on those two sets looks like the Japanese flag. It's a circle. They're all in there <laughs> <Yeah>. together. <laughs> it's the same thing. <laughs> tell you what, those metrics, you know, once you get them in, you, you can improve an organization with them, but there are those edge cases. I actually worked with a guy and when they brought the metrics in, there was a code base for dealing with some interfaces and they actually had copied the code base three times for the three different Unixes that were popular back then. And he merged a bunch of stuff and deleted it and made it common and deleted thousands and thousands of lines of code. And so the defects per thousand lines of code took a big spike up and he nearly got fired for it until it got escalated a couple of managers up. Wow. It, <laughs> that's, uh, that's pretty bad. <laughs> like the more I think about it, the worse that sounds. Um, yeah. I, you know, getting the metrics right is, is really important, um, you know, from the get go. And, uh, you know, again, that's, that's something that you're going to want to do as a freelancer too. So you, you can completely think of remote work as a training school for how to be a real uh, productive freelancer. You know, it's, it's the initial uh, steps. It's, you know, figuring out your home work environment is another uh, really important thing. Uh, you, if you decide to go freelance and you just leave your job and you go freelance the next day, well, you're going to have all kinds of crap go wrong. Um, you know, the, the first time I did it, um, let's see, the first week my UPS battery failed and I didn't know that we were having power surges all the time um, during the day. And I'm not sure why that was. So that was, you know, that was one thing that cost me you know, what, two or three hours going and getting a new battery and getting it replaced and getting back here and plugging everything back up. Uh, my internet was going in and out. I didn't know that. Uh, my neighbors next door, um, they, I don't know if they just have like a weed eater hobby or something, but they're like running the thing all, you know, like random times during the day. Every day there's a weed eater. It's the like, ready for the Olympics. Like, uh, so like, I mean, there can't, there can't be that many plants in the subdivision to weed eat. <laughs> you know, it's just, it's like, there's always mechanical noise out there and you don't know about this stuff until you, you know, work from home. And it's, it's a nasty surprise to find out that, Oh, my internet's not reliable. My power is not reliable. My neighbors are noisy. Um, you know, when I might need to be on a conference call or, you know, my, my equipment is crap. My desk is not ergonomic. Um, you know, I get distracted easily. You know, temperature's weird. There's bad glare on the screen. Like, it's a lot easier to figure out all that stuff if you're testing out working from home a day or two periodically versus, oh, I'm now working remote as a freelancer and my ability to keep this house that I'm sitting in is dependent on that and I have all these problems. You know, I'll, I, I was surprised by one of the uh, cases that came up. So I had a team of uh, six people when I was um, down in managing a health, Ruby and Rails healthcare project down in Texas. And we were discussing whether the team should be allowed to work from home or maybe only from home. And we kind of went through some different things. If you do only from home, then the company can actually save money. That department can say, I'm not going to use as much office space. And for some companies, they actually charge back the manager for the amount of office space they use to reflect on the books, who's really using what resources for the company. So there was some incentive to, if we're going to go close to it, to really go all the way and say no offices anymore. 
And I was surprised a couple of the younger guys, they both had like a couple kids under four at home and they absolutely did not want to work from home five days a week. They said maybe two or possibly three was about right for them, but they were not into the five days a week from home at all. I was just thinking of kids, kids and pets, <laughs> the biggest disruptions. And like, especially if you've got to concentrate, kids are much worse than all of your rowdy colleagues. Uh, yeah. And, uh, you know, my, my workers my now are much better. My six year old, three year old and one year old are much better behaved than most of the people I worked with in my office. <laughs> Good for you. Not even joking. Yeah. And I, gotta I, say I know it's not always the case. There are a lot, it's, it's very different for, but my kids, I mean, honestly, the people I were sitting around in my office, open office space drove me nuts at least my kids will like, you know, they know they can play on back. They know which rooms to play. They're respectful. My coworkers were like, I'm going to treat this office like my living room anyway. So it's yeah. just, there's a whole gamut there, but I, I tell everybody, I mean, I'm not even joking about that. It was great. <laughs> uh, I think it really depends on the kids that you've got because my, my oldest, he's really introverted. He doesn't want to spend time with anybody I actually gave him a pair of wireless headphones on the weekend and he spent the entire day with the headphones on. He's like, great. No, I don't have to talk to anybody. <laughs> it was like that. But my, my youngest, she, she has to be holding your hand or talking to you. She can't really go more than, you know, a few minutes without talking. If you, if you're not talking to her, she starts getting upset and then she'll start crying and then everyone's going to comfort her because she's crying. So it's, yeah, really, really different depending on the child. And you don't know what kind of child you're going to get. And if you've got someone who's really needy and requiring your attention all the time, it's so hard to work around, around that. I mean, I just have to have her in childcare the whole day. But if yeah. someone doesn't have their children in childcare, then that's going to be a really difficult work environment. Yeah. And a lot of places actually make you sign a form to say, Hey, I will not be taking care of, you know, I won't be the sole you know, caregiver for a child under eight or something like that. Or I won't be the sole caregiver for, you know, an older sick relative, you know, in the house during my work hours, you know, somebody else will have to be wow. there or uh, whatever. And, you know, that's probably, I don't know. It feels like it kind of reaches in a little bit too much into the home environment. But at the same time, it's better than the notion of, okay, well, you're going to be 50 minutes away from your sick relative or your kid when something happens. Um, so, I don't know, it, it's, it's better. I still think the home environment is probably better. Early in my career, I figured out which jobs were worth working at and which ones weren't, mostly by trial and error. I created a system that I used to find jobs and later contracts as a freelancer. If you're looking for a job or trying to figure out where you should go next, then check out my book, The Max Coder's Guide to Finding Your Dream Developer Job. The book walks you through figuring out what you want, vetting companies that meet your criteria, meeting that company's employees, and getting them to recommend you for a job. Don't settle for whoever has listed their job on the job board. Go out and proactively find the job you'll love. Buy the book at devchat.tv slash job book. That's devchat.tv slash job book. Uh, the thing I've noticed. I was a, sorry. I was a single mother when I had my first child. And um, it was interesting because I was, I was a developer. I was, so I've started remoting in 
And because I didn't have any childcare, I just bought one of those. It was like this bouncing thing with all of these buttons. Yes. <laughs> and a little just, circular thing that you put the kid yeah. in the middle of. <laughs> I just like stuck him in there and I'd get a little bit of development time. And because I was trying to concentrate, I'd like stick him in the far corner as far away from me as I could. But, um, you know, eventually he'd get sick of it and I'd just let him crawl around the room. And there would be times when I would, because um, my, my son, he wouldn't sleep either. He just didn't want to sleep. So there were times when I would put him in the backpack, go for a walk with him. So he'd finally fall asleep on my back. It was the only way I could get him to sleep. And then I would try to work at the computer with a baby on my back and he was a big baby. So I ended up, I also had to go to the physiotherapist for that too, because I ended up hurting my back. But yeah, when, if you're, if you haven't got, if you've got very young kids and you haven't got care, then, then that becomes really hard. Um, It's, it almost reminds me of that. uh, I forget who the comedian was that said, you know, you know what it's like having uh, four kids or, and it's really true even down to one. Um, But he's, he's like, imagine you're drowning and somebody hands you a baby. (laughs) (laughs) and that's pretty much yeah like uh, you know parents with young kids at home I mean there's got to be a better solution than the way we handle it now and I think I think honestly this whole COVID work remote thing like once people realize they can do it enough people maybe will start doing it that will get something that works better either Mm. more child care providers or you know some other solution compared to you know like have the baby right here and try to keep them busy and type one handed. Or, you know. <laughs> the other extreme I had though, when I had my second child, I, well, I ended up leaving because the prospect of it was too daunting, but I was working in the defense force. It was an hour commute from my home and from my childcare center. And because I was in a top secret lab, I wasn't allowed to have any access to the outside world from within the building I was in. So the prospect of having to go outside and check my phone every half an hour in case, you know, I had to pick her up urgently wasn't really a promising prospect either, especially when I knew it was going to be an hour drive. So. Yeah. No, I mean, and that kind of goes back to, you guys were talking about like the health differences between doing the commute. I know both Will, you and Petra were talking about like, Visiting chiropractors and physios and stuff. And I know for myself, I really found that to be true. Um, not just the commute. I don't know. I don't know if I can put my finger on what the difference is, but when I'm working from home, I am better about taking that five minute break and just doing a short little walk. And I, I, if I had to guess, I'd say that the office environment just was not that inspiring to go walk a hallway for a few minutes versus I can just pop out my back door and kind of be in nature or whatever, or around some trees and stuff. But I don't know if you guys found that your actual work habits themselves are healthier for that time you're in the chair programming. Uh, yeah, I can definitely say that it is far more inspiring to go outside and look at nature versus walk down the hall and see a different color of beige, <laughs> um, which is basically what you get in the office. Um, I used I would, to go, I used to go for a walk and then buy myself something to eat for an excuse for why I needed to get out of the office. Yep. And so I think I definitely added a few kilos to my waistline when I was working in the office, just because 
every day I'm like, mm, what kind of thing am I going to buy now? I need to justify the fact that I've gone for a walk. So I'd come back with chocolate or cake or, you know, something that wasn't, wasn't healthy. Well, and at my previous job, I, you know, I had to drive there in the mornings and there was a gas station that had really good sausage and biscuits and I would stop every morning. <laughs> and, you know, there's this, this old hillbilly woman that's outside with a cigarette, you know, pull it out of her mouth. Uh, you're a bit late today, aren't you? You know, just, <laughs> you know, they knew me, uh, but I, I get a biscuit there every morning and yeah, you get, you get the biscuit poison and it swells you up, you know, <laughs> <It's>, uh, <laughs> it doesn't really take all that long, you know, sausage biscuit every day will add some weight. You know, if you're, especially if you're stressed out, not exercising and, you know, you happen to be overly fond of Indian buffets at lunch. Um, oh, yeah. Buffets. Yeah. I miss those. I wonder if those you know, will be back. That's the other factor too, that kind of counterbalances is the one thing that, especially for me, I found I missed was I actually really enjoy solving hard problems and then talking about it with other people or even hearing what hard problem they solved. I just, I find that fascinating. I always feel like I might pick up a tip or something like that. And so that social, that social aspect had two parts to it. One was the part I loved and the other was the part where someone just kind of grab you in the hall and want to know about the thing they had to know right then or some other thing when you're on a busy day and you just really didn't want the interruption. And that, that could actually be a very stressful kind of social interaction. So I found that I had to work a lot harder to get the good social interactions, but the bad ones kind of went away on their own. Yeah, I would, I would confirm that as well. And, you know, working remote until COVID happened, obviously, um, I've, I've got some friends that live nearby and they're software developers and they're doing mostly the same stack I'm doing. And so, yeah, there's a, there is like a, a sushi buffet down here and it's sort of dodgy, but you know, I haven't gotten sick from it. And, and so we would go eat there, you know, every couple of weeks and just hang out and, completely stuff ourselves with sushi and, you know, talk about, you know, angular stuff and, uh, you know, C sharp stuff. And it was great. You know, that, that works really well. And yeah, I love enough, that kind of thing. Yeah. It's enough social interaction to actually help. Um, I will say the home environment though, you do sometimes get social uh, interactions that you don't want. Uh, you know, you have salespeople that come by that don't understand that. Yes, I'm, I'm home, but I'm, I'm working. I can't, I can't talk about my gutters right now. <laughs> or we, we had a lady that used to clean our house um, years ago, the, the first time I think I worked remote. And, you know, that's great. You know, it's, it makes it easier on, on you know, both, uh, both people in the marriage if you're not having to clean up all the time and, you know, do crap like clean baseboards and that sort of thing. And she was in once a week, but she didn't get it either. And there was one weekend I got frustrated at not having enough bookshelf space. I built two bookshelves you know, stained them, did all the thing, got it up. And that woman, I think she talked to me for two hours about those bookshelves. And I'm like, lady, it's a rectangle. I, <laughs> I don't know what to say. And, <laughs> and you have those conversations and you can't get away because like, I can't even just get up and go home because I'm home. <laughs> yeah. I had a sales meeting last week where something like that happened. I'm, I'm trying to convince someone to buy my services and I've got my husband home now as well because of COVID. So we're using the same office space. We've got a fabric curtain between us, but fabric doesn't do much. So, so I'm talking and then he goes into a meeting as well because he's got a remote meeting 
So he starts talking a bit louder because he can't hear what he's saying because I'm talking. And then I'm talking a bit louder because the people in my sales meeting are saying, I can't hear you over the background noise. And then my cleaner, I'd already told her to vacuum my room uh, in advance, but we've got a two-story house. So she's like vacuuming the floor directly above my head at the same time <laughs> that all this is going. And I'm like, I'm trying to convince someone to buy my services and they can't even hear what I'm saying. And I'm apologizing. Sorry about all the noise. The next thing I probably needed at this point was my cat to jump up and <laughs> give them all a, a rear end shot like you were describing. I have yeah. had that happen. To, well, not, not the rear end, but my cat, my cat did jump up on my desk, destroying my desk and making everything fall off um, right at the point where I was closing a sale. But luckily <laughs> that one went ahead. <laughs> yeah, but you I mean, can definitely have these kind of things happen too. Well, and if you can turn it around and make it into a joke, it actually kind of comes up endearing. Um, oh, that actually worked out really well because my cat was really embarrassed too. You know, cats, <laughs> cats do get quite embarrassed about these things, but I had a book that I was writing notes into and she stepped on it, not realizing that it wasn't solid. And my book and my keyboard and my mouse and my drink bottle and all the other things on my desk all crashed down all at the same time. And there was complete chaos. And then we were all laughing by the time that it finished. So I'm like, do <laughs> yeah. you want to buy? Yeah, sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you seem, yeah, I mean, yeah. You, you seem like you were poised with chaos. So you're totally welcome to our organization. It's fine. <laughs> yeah, the, the guy that, that had the cat in my story uh, did not handle it well. And, you know, of course, we, we weren't exactly the nicest bunch. I mean, it's, it's me and a bunch of other rednecks anyway, right? So you're sitting there and you're going, you know, that was on like a 60 inch screen. So <laughs> that portion of the cat was like a foot wide. <laughs> you know? Some easy pickings. Oh yeah. <laughs> Every day, months. You know, there's a, there's another thing I'd kind of like to talk about a little bit, especially for people who are thinking about doing it and haven't done the work remote yet. The one part I think is kind of obvious that you'll definitely have to learn to have some discipline to get up in the morning, have your routine and set down and stuff. Here's the part that I think might catch people by surprise because it did for me and I'd like you to chime in whether it caught you guys by surprise. And that is the part of you've got the discipline, you're rolling, you take some breaks, you feel refreshed and you're kind of going and then maybe you can deal with an interruption or running an errand. And so the how to shut it down end of it. That actually is a part that people might not anticipate that for some people, maybe it depends on the person, but for me, making sure I shut things down and didn't let it dribble into eight, nine, 10 o'clock, I've got more, one more idea. Drawing that boundary so you do actually still have some home life was uh, something I had to actually kind of practice at. Yeah, I've had a lot of trouble with that. Um, one thing that I've done is uh, try to make sure that I'm busy on my own stuff. Um, a variety of different things. Um, so obviously writing two books, I didn't have time to overwork. Um, I, you know, I do typically, we record the podcast on Tuesdays, uh, right after work. Um, Mondays right after work is my Russian class. Um, Wednesday, I usually have a grocery store run and then I cook dinner that night. Um, usually by Thursday, I'm way too tired to stick around crazy late anyway. Um, I, Friday is movie night. So like if you, you just have to schedule stuff and, and have somewhere to be so that work isn't the only thing that's, that's been the most effective thing for me. 
that's crazy that you're you're breaking it down like that because that was such a struggle for me because I again I'm side hustle nation right like I I do this I work 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 and then I come home and then my project is to work and so like my wife is like what are you doing right. Like, yeah. uh, are you, you still working? When are you not working? When are you? And uh, we had this conversation and it's funny that you're breaking it down by the different days because I, I kind of, I like to play guitar. I like to brew beer. I haven't brewed beer in a few months, actually. My friends are all mad at me because they used to get tons of free beer because I like brewing it, you know, more than I like drinking it, honestly. And uh, it, it, I'd always give so much away. So they're like, why aren't you brewing anymore? And I'm like, I'm busy, you know? And then COVID happened, You but without that separation, I started actually doing meditation. So when I was done with my day, I would actually meditate. Like I had an alarm at a certain time it would go off and I'd take five or 10 minutes and just try to switch off. Right. Or do something to kind of demark the day. Uh, it's very difficult, especially if, if it's your side hustle or, you know, once you, like Joel said, you get into a flow of it and it just seems normal for so long. And if I burn out, like that's, I mentioned going to Gatlinburg. I burned out to the point that I told, I turned to my wife and was like, we have to get out of here. Like, I can't do this another day. And she was like, okay. But it, it gets very difficult. It's something, uh, I'm glad that we brought that up. It's very important. Brad, how well did that work to use that little meditation thing to like put a stopping point on the day? I've never tried that. I'm a huge fan. Um, I started, I think I even picked it uh, a few recordings ago and um, it made a huge difference so the alarm goes off I try it I feel like I suck at meditation I'm a total type a charge 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 you know meditation is not my thing it's good practice uh, I think it's a good supplement to you know any kind of uh, spiritual practices you have prayer things like that as well uh, but doing something throwing that in there and just saying okay you know the whole, I mean, it's a total gear shift for me going from work, 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 the alarm goes off. I've trained myself now and I'm, you know, I'm too type A to miss a day. So now that it's on my to-do list, I'm going to do it. (laughs) I like that idea of having almost a, a procedure. Like this is the end of the day. This is the thing, the thing that always happens at the end of the day. I think that could be really effective, even if it wasn't meditation, just the idea that there's something that demarks the end of the day for a freelancer. Or demarks lunch or <laughs> yeah. you know, separates the end of your day job day from your side hustle. Um, that's one thing I noticed, uh, you know, even when I, you know, when I initially started, I was like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to work all day. And then when the day's done, I'm going to switch over. And I'm going to work on my stuff, the side hustle and my work sucked that I was doing for the side hustle afterwards because I was already burnt from the day. But if I went and I said, okay, I'm, you know, going to take a class, I'm going to, you know, cook dinner, I'm going to do something else. And then I come back and I do my work. I'm actually refreshed and I can get right back to it. And it doesn't seem to burn me down all that terribly fast. And the work is better quality. And so it doesn't take as much time either. Um, it's, you just got to have the downtime in there and you got to be really, really conscientious about it when you work remotely, because it is, extremely easy to work a 12 hour day every day. You know, I think that's another really surprising thing you just touched on there is the idea that a break for something totally different 
going and playing tennis or going to a Russian class. The idea that that kind of break would actually re-energize you, I think that's something people have to experience before you can really believe how effective that is to get you back where you can do more work later. Well, I mean, I get asked a lot, you know, because they're like, well, you're, you know, you're taking Russian classes, you're, you write two books in a year, you got a podcast, you got a meetup group, you got a full-time job, you got crazy neighbors running the lawnmower now. Um, you know, like, how do you do all that stuff? And it's like, well, it's not that I, that it's actually that much stuff. It's the way you stack it. You can carry a lot of crap out of a building if it's stacked right. But if it's stacked wrong, you can't lift 20 pounds because it's going to fall off. And it's exactly the same thing with your schedule. It's like when you, uh, when I did like straight up code work and I would code all day and I'd get yeah, after lunch, I'd come back and I'd be a little sluggish and I'd, I'd dig in and I'd write a few lines, something would break and I'd be like, why is this not working? And I would dig through and, you know, and then I had to stop for whatever reason, end of day, I'm not going to miss my commute, blah, 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 whatever it was. I'd wake up the next morning and instantly know exactly what I needed to do. Right. And I think, you know, that, that's like a normal thing. This is like a, just a bigger, this is like the next version of that. Right. By resetting, refreshing, you're doing that. And I noticed, especially you have to be really sensitive of that with your side hustle. I know that I burnt bridges with people and, you know, trying to get clients initially because I wasn't there mentally. Like I wasn't there and I was trying to do work, but the work I was doing sucked. They were just like, well, come on, like I'm going to trust you with money. You can't even like, right. So there were times when I had to recognize I'm too burnt out to be working on my side hustle. This I'm, I'm tying my name to this. I'm tying, you know, it's, you need those breaks in there. And until you, I've, like Joel said, until you experience that firsthand, you don't realize how important it is. Yeah. And, you know, speaking of the side hustle thing, um, you know, and on the convincing your boss thing, uh, one of the things that I've seen from management is we're worried that you're going to work on your side thing instead of working for us or that it's going to get the most attention, especially if you're working from home. And um, I even had one manager say, well, how do we know that this person's not going to get a second job and bill both of us? And I'm like, well, if you can't tell from their productivity, then your workforce is at 50% efficiency, right? Like that seems like that's a bigger problem than just one guy. I've seen There's that happen just, actually in the office. Yeah, it, it is happening was, in the office. Yeah, there was a guy, um, our, our government departments are notorious for being not terribly efficient. I'm sure that we don't have the only government like that. And so we oh, had no. <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to think of trying to think of one that's not like that. <laughs> yeah, I know. I'm thinking, well, probably everyone's like that. So we had one government department on one side of the road and another government department on the other side of the road. And this guy got a um, contract at both of them and was um, running across the road like throughout the day. <laughs> And asking people to cover for him when the managers would walk past. Oh, you can't keep that up for long. <laughs> it, no. it was insane. I don't know how he managed to do it. But yeah, he was billing them both as a full-time person and he definitely oh. wasn't there. But the thing is that the, the, um, the managers there didn't give us anywhere near enough work. They had a certain budget and they wanted to spend the budget. And to spend the budget, they just kept bringing in people. So they had enough work for about two people and then they ended up bringing on 17 people. And I remember I was like begging 
the lead developer, please give me a bug. I want to work on a bug. And then just as I was begging him, the, um, the project manager came in and said, here, I'm going to introduce you to the two new people that we've just hired. And the two <laughs> of us just looked at them and went, oh, hi. <laughs> yeah. They probably didn't know why there wasn't such a receptive welcome at that moment. But, <laughs> but anyway, wow. that, that's kind of gone off on a side topic. But yeah, definitely it is possible to, to do that. And so there's going to be some people that are deceptive, but I think the majority of people are good. So you can't, um, yeah, the management should be able to work out how much work people are doing, but you probably do need to trust the majority of your workforce. And for every one person that's going to be deceptive, you're going to have another 10, 20 people that are not. Right. And sometimes the deception, you know, isn't necessarily maybe not as malicious as it comes across, right? Like there's, I've seen situations where somebody was grossly underpaid and they didn't have enough work to occupy them. And it's like, okay, so the guy gets into Bitcoin or something and he's not mining it on the company's servers or he's, you know, maybe he's got some multi-level marketing crap he's doing. It's like, well, he's not really paid for the amount of time he's stuck sitting there in the office. He's not got enough work to do to keep him busy. If he was at home, you know, he wouldn't have to try to be sneaky. He wouldn't default to, uh, you know, dishonest behavior because he would just do his job. Like what's the difference there? You know, like if you're, if you're not actually measuring, do we have enough work for this person? You know, it, it, it seems kind of strange and backward to me that um, somebody can't have something else on the side. You know, uh, in that environment. of course they should ask for more work, but. Um, yeah. I think that's a really good point. And, and related to that, I mean, we've probably all worked in an office where you end up with one of those coworkers who is got a great personality, knows kind of how to kind of charm things and just doesn't want to work real hard. Maybe they've learned how to kind of work around the edges. And, you know, in programming, if you kind of go down that route for a while, you do kind of lose your edge. It's almost like a runner. If you sit on the couch too much, you're not going to go run a 10K with your buddies that weekend. You can kind of get out of shape. And I've seen this happen on occasion with programmers who maybe had light assignments or something, and then they just learned to kind of use personality or just making sure they're real visible and not do work. Do you guys think it's really any easier or harder for a manager to see through that, whether you're remote or in the office? Because I've seen a lot of cases in the office where managers took a long time to see through that. Yeah, I think it's harder to, to get away with that from home just because you can't uh, enforce your personality on other people as easily. Like you can't just show up and, you know, cause like a lot of those people will disrupt the rest of the team. Right. So it's like, Hey, you know, I killed productivity for, you know, by 50% for the whole team and I'm only a 50% developer. So now I'm average, you know? Right. Um, and so they can, they can hide it in the noise. Whereas when people are working remote, it's a lot harder uh, to get away with that stuff at that level. Um, of course that said a relief for the rest of the team, to be honest, because oh, no yeah. one really wants to feel like they're carrying the annoying person that's, you know, loafing off. That's frustrating for everyone. Yeah. I've, I've worked with quite a few like that. I mean, I, I was on one team of, uh, let's see, another five of us and they let another senior developer go. And our productivity, as far as like number of points we cleared the next week went up by 20%. Oh, 
<laughs> without him there. <laughs> and, I, I've worked with one of those people too. <laughs> and, and management like called us that's in. That's just and, not good. <laughs> well, the, the, the owner of the company, you know, like called us into the conference room and got all serious. And he's like, I just want to talk about productivity. And we're like, oh, crap. And he's like, here's our numbers for last week. Like, okay. Here's the numbers for this week. And this is like late the day on Friday. And we're all sitting there thinking we're going to get fired. And he sits there and shows it. And it's like, oh, it's up. He's like, do you notice we have one less person and our productivity went up? And we sit there with like, I think we're okay. And he goes, next time any of you get a hint of something like this going on, tell me instead of letting me find out like I just did. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> One of the biggest pain points that I find as I talk to people about software is deployment. It's really interesting to have the conversations with people where it's, I don't want to deal with Docker. I don't want to deal with Kubernetes. I don't want to deal with setting up servers. I don't, you know, all of these different things. And in a lot of ways, DevOps has gotten a lot easier. And in a lot of ways, DevOps has also kind of embraced a certain amount of culture around applications, the way we build them, the way we deploy them. And I've really felt for a long time that developers need to have the conversations with DevOps or adopt some form of DevOps so that they can take control of what they're doing and really understand when things go to production, what's going on, so that they can help debug the issues and fix the issues and find the issues when they go wrong and help streamline things and make things better and slicker and easier so that they'll more generally go right. So we started a podcast called Adventures in DevOps. And I pulled in one of the hosts from one of my favorite DevOps shows, Nell Shamrell Harrington from The Food Fight Show. And we got things rolling there. And so this is more or less a continuation of the Food Fight Show where we're talking about the things that go into DevOps. So if you're struggling with any of these operational type things, then definitely check out Adventures in DevOps. And you can find it at adventuresindevopspodcast.com. You've heard the, you've heard the parable. You can, you can, how does it go? You can fool your, your uh, co-workers some of the time. You can fool the, your boss all of the time. And you can fool the people that work for you none of the time. That's, that's pretty accurate. Um, yeah, the, uh, I just think the shift to remote work is actually, you know, probably puts people in a headspace that is more appropriate for actually getting things done in a more dynamic economy, just in general. And it avoids a lot of the problems that came out of shoehorning tech into essentially a factory approach. Mm-hmm. Uh, to getting work done. Um, you know, and one of the other things I noticed as well when I started working remotely is I was more willing to take risks. You know, like, hey, I can, I can fix this part of the code base because I know I'm not going to get interrupted right in the middle and leave out something critical and break mm-hmm. some major part of the system. And I, I couldn't do that when I was in an office. Or I know I can, you know, pitch this idea to management. Hey, I think we could do this thing and it'll make more money. And, you know, here's the numbers, you know, and I took the time on the clock to do it because it was more productive. So I could, and it, it just, it shifts the dynamic around where like, that's, that's totally possible. I've actually found that that's changed since I've gone freelance rather than just working from home because when you're working from home, but someone else is managing the business, then you've got freedom to solve hard problems. But when you're actually managing the business and you've got people calling you wanting customer service and you've got, 
you know, marketing things going on, you've got a hundred million emails. I mean, what is it with the emails these days? It, um, it becomes really hard to actually solve the, the hard problems. So I'm actually finding that the more management level things I'm doing, the, the less I trust in myself to be able to solve a programming problem appropriately, given that my time is split into smaller and smaller chunks. And I'm scared that I'm going to leave something out. And I'm like a really diligent kind of person. I try not to ever have bugs, but um, you know, I'm, I'm still, I'm getting worried that I'm not going to have time to thoroughly test something. Yeah. I've, I've noticed too, that uh, if you switch, uh, you know, kind of like you switch contexts, like going from managing to coding is really, really hard. Um, I actually, and it doesn't even matter what kind of people you're managing, right? Like I worked at a startup that was writing software for massage therapy businesses. And the guy had a massage therapy business and I was working for like the, the umbrella thing that he set up over it. And at one point in there, I was having to manage massage therapists and then switch to writing store procedures. And that was like the most awful like culture shock you've ever had. Cause you've got like, Oh man, like massage therapists, you know, they're nice people, but, um, they tend not to be, uh, what's the word scientific or like grounded in the technical way that the rest of us are. They kind of, um, they kind of, yeah, they, you know, like you can almost hear the granola, you know, it's, yeah. <laughs> it's the best way to put it. And then you're having to switch from having a conversation with one of them to tech stuff and then you get interrupted and you got to switch back and it's, had a whole lot of massage client, um, massage clinic clients for a while. So <laughs> they were all my clients too. Yeah. But, and also for those of us that have a remote team or, or even if you are in, in the office, I guess, and, and you're all working remote now, I mean, I've got uh, three remote VAs and because I have, uh, I, I've got the key expertise. So, I mean, now that I'm doing a lot of managing, I've started to, hire people that have the same skill that I've got so that I can delegate work to them and test it rather than having to solve the whole problem. Um, if I, if I have to do something that only I can do, I will block time out to do that and I'll tell everyone not to interrupt me. But during the day, as well as all the clients contacting me, I've got three VAs that are contacting me. And so barely five minutes goes without a ding on my Slack because someone's asking a question. Now, it's not always, I've got a lot of procedures written down, so they won't be asking me a question about process. It'll just be a question clarifying the task that I've set out for them. Because at the beginning of the week, I write down all the tasks that my team are doing and try to put in as much detail as I can think of. But the way that my brain works isn't necessarily the way that everyone else's brain works. And so they'll be clarifying something when they're working on it or maybe what I've asked them to do can't be done. So they're trying to come up with a new way of solving it and they're running everything past me. It's, it's very, very um, challenging to be able to separate yourself from all the dings and beeps and whatnot. So I think that if you're having to manage and build stuff at the same time, you really need a way to kind of separate chunks of your day into this is when I'm actually programming or this is when I'm making stuff and no one's allowed to interrupt me at that time. And then the rest of the day you can get on with managing people. Yeah. 
I think that's well said. I don't really have anything to add there. And, you know, I would bet, Petra, that a lot of that is not really unique to whether you are at home or in the office. Because I've worked some companies where they expected the developers also at that first and maybe even second level managers to also be still developing. And I watched people go through that and try to time slice their day and do their one-on-ones and have meetings and deal with people's emergencies and then still try to code. And it just looked like an extremely difficult thing. I mean, there's some companies that did it and made it work really well. I had a friend who worked for one of those and, and he wasn't one of those managers, but he just made the comment. He goes, yeah, we expect a lot from our managers. And I don't know that that's necessarily a, a problem that is any better or worse working from home in the office. I just think that's a difficult mix. Yeah, yeah, that's I, true. I guess when you're at home in the office, you've just got different ways that you're interacting with people because in the, in the office, you might be more likely to have meetings and you can clarify everything in person. Whereas when you're working remotely, you tend to have more of a task-based workflow and people are clarifying things as they go. So I find that compared to, yes, we can all have a meeting, but if we're working in different time zones, that's not always practical. So sometimes having a meeting and just getting everything over and done with can be more efficient than having clarifying questions all throughout the day. Yeah, that's one other thing I noticed too, working remote is you, you need to make sure and actually like try to batch the way that you interact with your manager in such a way that they have everything before they need to ask you. And I I think that probably applies as well to subordinates. Um, I tested that out a little bit at my previous job, but wasn't, um, you know, like full on managing there. Um, I, I think, you know, if you, you do the things like the meetings and those kind of setups, it's going to help, but I mean, stuff is still going to come up during the day and you almost have to build in a um, expectation that things are async, you know, async by default. And, you know, you'll have a guaranteed uh, return, you know, response within X number of hours um, as opposed to immediately. And that, that may be the best you can do. I, we're kind of getting toward the end of our scheduled time. Um, We didn't really talk much about like physical setup as far as things that you need there. Um, but we do kind of need to get to picks. Do you want to just address that for like two minutes and then we'll do picks? Uh, like the physical setup. I, uh, right now where I'm developing, I have got, um, an executive corner desk with a 50 inch 4k TV on it. Um, and a KVM switch. So I can switch between my work machine and my home machine. Um, so I've got the full surround sound system. I've got a separate office that is theoretically quiet, but amazingly not so during this recording. Uh, my neighbors are outside playing with their uh, leaf blower, unfortunately, or weed eater or something. Uh, but you know, basically I have a setup that is better than what I would have in an office. And I, I bought a lot of this equipment myself. Um, I think you almost have to do that. Probably, uh, you know, the other thing I would say for a physical setup is make sure you have spares. So, you know, I have, I have two spare keyboards in the other room. I've got spare mice. I've got a kind of a crappier version of the same router that I have that's configured the same. Every time I change the main router, I also hook up the laptop to the secondary router and fix the settings on it and then unplug it and put it in the closet. Um, so if the main router dies for some reason, I can swap it out and I'm back to work. And it, it doesn't mess me up. Um, that's probably the big part is making sure that you 
not just have a good work environment, but that you have the ability to uh, handle failures in equipment because now it's all you. Mm-hmm. So that, that would be something I would probably add as a takeaway that I did not realize early on. Um, and now I've spent quite a bit of money to make sure that I don't have that problem. Yep. You know, and I'd like to add in a little bit to that. I was surprised, like some of the simple things, how inexpensive they were. Like I never realized those little clamps that go on the back of a desk and will hold two monitors and that all monitors now have the little bolts in there to mount on those. <laughs> so you can end up with a really nice layout. It's just, stuff's just not very expensive anymore. And like this little boom to hold the microphone and the webcam, you can really get set up very nicely with a couple monitors and the webcams and the microphones and stuff for meetings and all that for man, easily for five, 600 bucks now. Yeah. And how long does it take commuting to pay that back? Oh. <laughs> I mean, <it's laughs> One tank of gas, nothing. maybe two. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Well, not right now because gas is dirt cheap because people aren't going anywhere, but you know, normally, yeah, normally, yeah, it was, you know, not long at all. Um, so yeah, that, you know, that's what I would you know generally say is just make sure you have a good, you know, solid environment and spend the money on the stuff that you would expect to have in an office. Make sure you have a good chair too. Cause, uh, Holy crap. Have I gone through the office chairs here? I don't know if it's like the way I slouch or what, but they just, they don't hold up. Mm-hmm. Um, but if, if you've, if you've got a chair that hurts your back, you're going to find out very, very quickly working <laughs> from home. Um, you'll find out quicker than you would in an office because you don't get up and walk to a meeting. You're, you just turn the webcam on. And so if there's any kind of problem at all, you're going to find out. And so, you know, spend a little bit more on your chair, um, you know, buy good headphones, make sure you've got a fast internet connection, like the bargain basement uh, cable internet's probably not the way to go because your, mm-hmm. your audio is going to sound bad. It's going to cut in and out completely. Yeah. I mean, honestly, if you just look at a, at a decent podcasting rig and get that, <laughs> you know, for your home office, you're probably going to be ahead of 99% of the people around you. Um, it's, it's really easy to make a bad impression if you use cheap equipment. I mean, it's great if work pays for it, but if they don't, you should, you're still going to come out ahead. Yeah. All right. One more thing, Will. Um, I know you just released the book. If people want to go get it, cause I'm sure there's tons more stuff that we didn't even have time to address. Uh, where, where do they go get that book? Uh, probably the easiest, um, the easiest place is Amazon. I've actually got a link. Um, I'm assuming that goes in the show notes. Yes. Okay. Yep. Cause it's a big, it's one of those big honking Amazon links, unfortunately that, um, that that's probably the best place to get it. Uh, you can also read a lot of that content on simple programmer. Um, so that's, that's a good way to, to get a hold of that. If you just search for Will Gant or remote work, you can see the articles I've posted there. All right. Sounds good. Um, well, let's go ahead and do some picks. Joel, do you want to start us off? Yeah, it sounds great. So, um, recently I was getting some coaching from guys coaching a group of people and you were talking about retuning your experiences for flow. So I went and got the book on flow to understand what it was. And he talks about if your skills grow and you're still doing your hobby, sport, or even your career at the same level, you're probably going to get bored because it's not really a challenge anymore. You're not on that edge where there's a little bit of a risk of failure. And if you're doing things way over your skill level, you're going to feel constant anxiety. And I got this book and all of a sudden the light bulb just went on. So I actually kind of retuned two or three of my hobbies and up the difficulty level so I could kind of get back to where they were actually more engaging for me. 
And for me, the big side benefit of that has been when I'm doing some programming or something and I'm feeling that anxiety, now I can stop myself and say, is this really above my level what I think I can do? Is it because I think the time limit's not right there? Why am I kind of feeling anxiety? And I can kind of go through and pause a little bit and reason myself back into, you know, those things I was kind of nagging at me, those aren't really realistic fears and kind of get myself back to where I'm sometimes enjoying some of the programming tasks that we're bringing on a little bit of anxiety. So for my pick, the book is Flow, The Psychology of Optimal Experience. Awesome. Nice. Brad, what are your picks? Yeah, so I have a, a couple. There's a, one of them is a hand exerciser. I have been playing a lot more guitar now that I work remote and have my commute time back. So I've been, uh, actually it's funny, Joel, cause I kind of wanted to up my guitar game and like make it more challenging. So I've been taking more lessons and, and you know, more structured uh, to kind of push myself, right? And uh, so it's interesting you brought that up, but. So I started using these finger exercisers as well to help me get my finger strength up and stretch. And uh, I'd actually gotten hip to these a while ago when like because of bad desk positioning at uh, government agencies I was working at as a contractor, uh, they don't really splurge for great uh, ergonomic desks or anything. So uh, I noticed that my wrists were like just taking a beating. So I wanted to get something to strengthen my fingers and wrists and get some more exercise in. So I, I'll put a, a link there to one of them, but it's just something that you can stretch your fingers, make them stronger, and then like uh, something to like squeeze, right? So you have the, the two actions of stretching and strengthening both ways. Uh, but I found that to be uh, an interesting way to spend a couple minutes a day. Uh, and then the other one is a guitar capo. It's the Amazon Basics one, and it has worked out really well. It's really easy to take on, take off, and switch and go through, and it's Pretty reasonably uh, priced. You must have been playing Wonderwall lately. <laughs> Wonderwall? <laughs> Capo on three. <laughs> Capo on three. That and Songbird. Nice. Anyway. Petra, what are your picks? I also recommend the Flow book. I think that's a really good one. I like that book. Um, my pick this week is actually um, a series on Netflix called um there's 72 dangerous animals and they've got asia australia and latin america and the reason why i'm picking this is um so my six-year-old son he is really into minecraft at the moment and he's having trouble conversing with people about things other than minecraft he will only talk about <laughs> minecraft and there is no other topic and my son used to be the person who um he knew all of the really random dinosaurs like the dinosaurs that no one had even heard of existed and um and he's the he also corrects everybody on anything if you say anything that's somewhat inaccurate um he will he will make sure that you know exactly you know the correct version so I needed to get him on some other topics. And the, the good thing about 72 dangerous animals is that they're dangerous. And when you have young boys, they like dangerous animals. So these ones are just dangerous enough to be exciting. He's had some new topics at school. He got to do his school news day on uh, coconut crabs. And he loved the fact that he found out that coconut crabs can dismember a dead body. So he was telling all his fellow students about coconut crabs <laughs> dismembering people on the beach. Um, I'm not sure if his teacher approved, but I was just glad he was talking about something other than Minecraft. So, yeah, so if you've got a six-year-old genius who 
uh, is lacking in conversation material. I definitely recommend these series. And as it turned out, though, um, me being in Australia, we have plenty of dangerous animals here. Hey, we got our own episode, just well, sorry, our own series just on Australia. And then um, two days ago, I got bitten by an inch ant on my finger and my finger is still really sore. So I've been showing my kids my sore finger and saying, see, see, we're going to find it on the Dangerous Animals TV show. <laughs> so, oh, yeah, wow. definitely a good one for kids. Yeah, you talk about your six-year-old and you're like, yeah, some six-year-old, my 14 and a half-year-old's that way. Yeah, my 11-year-old's that way. <laughs> I was like, with, the, uh, <laughs> with Minecraft. <sighs> yeah. Yeah, he finally quit talking about Minecraft all the time. Now it's Roblox, which is Minecraft with weapons, like with yeah. projectile Look, weapons. My son plays <laughs> Roblox as well, so we do hear about Roblox too. But yeah, yeah I, we watch things like, you know, Young Sheldon, and we laugh because he's just like that. That's funny. I've never watched Young Sheldon. Maybe, maybe it'll be true to life or something. <laughs> Anyway, um, I'm going to throw in a few picks here. Um, so I have been working, I have this project in the works. Um, I'm probably looking at launching it beginning of July is kind of what I'm looking at. It's called the podcast playbook. You can find it at mypodcastplaybook.com. Um, I, I wound up just documenting a whole bunch of stuff for my team here at devchat.tv to produce the podcast. And it turned out that I realized that a lot of this stuff is stuff that other people are going to want to know, um, you know, so they can either uh, learn it themselves or they can, you know, get hire somebody and have them watch the video and, you know, then they'll know how to do it. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm working on putting together a playbook on how to uh, pull together and launch a podcast and then how to grow it. So um, if you're interested in that, I'm probably going to open it up for pre-sale, probably just to people who listen to these podcasts. I know that the market doesn't completely overlap, but um, yeah, then you can get this stuff as I, uh, you know, produce it and edit it and clean it up and all that good stuff. Um, but I plan on making it more or less a complete resource for podcasters. And uh, in addition to that, I'm also working on another um, similar thing it, back in, so back in the day i um leveled up on rails by watching a series called rails casts mm-hmm. and uh it was by ryan bates uh which doesn't necessarily mean anything to this audience but ryan he started out putting out a video a week and they were about 10 minute maybe 15 minute videos and then he started putting out two a week and he started charging for one of the videos every week and i was like well dang you know podcasters need this um cuz our market is changing because you're kind of stuck in this place between sort of the technical stuff around uh, recording and editing and you're also in the place of marketing and promotion and things like that. So you kind of, and, and social media changes and, you know, the, the internet changes and the options change and the technology changes. And so, I, you know, I just want to have something out there that I can keep evergreen and um, walk people through the process of uh, basically setting up, building and monetizing their podcasts. So. Um, I'm putting that together. It'll be, like I said, at my podcast or mypodcastplaybook.com. And uh, so if you're interested in that, go check it out. Um, and we'll have, uh, we'll have some info there. Um, and yeah, I'll have kind of some uh, preliminary walkthroughs so that you don't get stuck if I don't have the video done for something. But it also provides me, it'll be pre-order, obviously. I'll, I'll be doing it for less than what I'll be charging full price on 
But the flip side is, is that I get the feedback on the videos, right? It's like, I, this wasn't clear or I got stuck on this and you know, I can get that figured out. So anyway, if you want to help me out and uh, you want me to help you out, then that's what I'm working on. And then the other pick I have, so uh, Will mentioned like chairs and desks and stuff. Um, and so I'm just going to throw out some of the stuff that I have. I, I do have those monitor arms, but I don't know that any one brand is better than the other. Um, the desk I have my stuff on is an autonomous desk. Um, autonomous is the brand. Um, they have AI versions that will move for you. Um, I don't have that version. Um, I just have the basic version with the buttons, but it has four presets and you can move it up and down. It's real nice uh, standing desk. And then um, I have a Herman Miller Aeron chair and um, I really, really like my chair. So, and I've had it for like 10 years. So I'm going to pick those. Uh, yeah. Will, do you have some picks for us? Yeah, I do. I, although I didn't want to second the, uh, the Aeron chairs. Those are nice. I'm uh, waiting for the next massive market downturn and uh, mass downsizings to uh, purchase one at a price that I can afford. Yeah, uh, they're not cheap. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I, I know a lot of people that, and there are websites out there where you can pick up used ones and they're, yeah, you can get them for half price. Yeah, those are, they're pretty nice. Um, I guess my main pick, uh, my only pick uh, would be DDWRT. Um, I finally got tired of my Netgear Nighthawk router. Um, every time they updated the firmware, it killed my wireless range in the house. So it's supposed to, you know, the router I have says it'll cover like a 4,000 square foot house or a 5,000 square foot house and uh, testing determined that to not be true. Um, it might cover an 1,100 square foot house uh, with their, their firmware. So I blocked off a bunch of time uh, the Sunday before last to replace that firmware on the router, you know, got completely prepared in case I bricked it, you know, just, you know, basically was like, Hey, the whole day is going to be cleaning this mess up. And within an hour and a half, I had it up and working with everything like it had been with the new firmware and had nothing to do. <laughs> and I, <laughs> that, that, that impresses me to the extreme because that's not the kind of luck I've had with, you know, any kind of software like that. Um, so it's just, it's just a really nice thing. So uh, DDWRT is the, uh, the package I use for that. So it's definitely worth checking out, especially if you have a Netgear router and their um, recent firmware has started stinking for you. Yeah, I have the Nighthawk and the issue that I have is whenever it needs an upgrade, it, it kills the internet until I get it upgraded. And so then I have to figure out how to log into it. Yeah, I don't, I don't understand that either. It's, um, they've got a lot of design decisions there that are, that are very, very strange. Um, yeah. So, yep. All right. Having well, a DNS um, server on it, for instance, for internal is kind of weird. Yeah. That that's kind of a power user feature, but yeah. Yeah. DDWRT has it because I got entries all in mine now for all the things. You just spent some of my money. All right. Um, Will, if people want to connect with you on social media, where do they find you? Uh, I'm occasionally on Twitter um, at GantSoftSys. I'm not really uh, much for social media, um, but probably the best way to get in touch with me is, is through my podcast. Uh, that's completedeveloperpodcast.com because um, I'm definitely always around somewhere, either in our Slack channels or um, you know the email or that kind of thing. So it's probably the best way to get a hold of me. Nice. All right. Well, thanks for coming. This has been terrific. Yeah. It's been good. Yeah. All right, folks. Till next time, Max out. 
Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y.com to learn more.